the idea of doing what you love doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen because you, like if I went to drama every day, I'd sure I'd have fun, but I, it, it would not, it would have been misdirected. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, have what I loved and learn it, but really cultivate it and really be around other people that loved it. And, you know, that's probably the theme that will come out of this conversation. It's whether it's a peer of mine that I'm still friends with because we raced against each other in high school or Mike Finelli, who was running around the track with me at age 50 or my parents, you know, like it doesn't matter the demographic we shared that. And I, and I want for my high school kids, or I should say, I want for our high school kids that they have that. They're coming to practice with two coaches that love it so much. They're surrounded by teammates that really love what they're doing. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the culture that we have. It's the community that we're trying to create. That's Jake Schmidt. And this is episode 48 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? How's it going? Hope your week is off to a good start. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and welcome back to my podcast, where every week I glean insight and inspiration from some of the top athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running. And this week, I'm super excited to sit down with Jake Schmidt. For those of you who don't know, Jake is a three-time Olympic trials qualifier in the marathon. He was an All-American at the University of Washington. And before that, he was a state cross-country champion here in California, which is really, really hard to do. Uh, Jake recently ran 218.03 at CIM. He has his sights set on competing well at the Olympic trials in Atlanta a little over a year from now. Aside from being a super accomplished athlete, Jake is also a coach. Uh, he has been at his alma mater, Redwood High School, for the past nine years, coaching alongside his mom, Laura, who is also his coach, has been for most of his life. And they've developed one of the top distance programs in California, which we talked quite a bit about. Uh, Jake is also the co-founder, alongside with his mom, Laura, of course, of the Thoroughbred Treadmill Studio, just north of San Francisco, which is the first treadmill studio on the West Coast. Uh, we talked about all those things and a lot more in this conversation, so let's just get right into it with Jake Schmidt. Sound is good, and we are set. Jake Schmidt, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks for having me. So we're five weeks removed from CIM. We both ran the race. How have things been for you since that day in early December? Kind of um, everything that you'd expect after a marathon. Uh, I went on a quick trip to Kauai right afterwards. I'd never been to that island and uh, we took off. I was expecting just to be on the beach and not running, but I landed in Hawaii and I immediately started running because it was just gorgeous and sunny and I was stoked. So I did a couple of days of running then, then promptly got the flu. Then took off on vacation, was in Minnesota, took a couple of days off, ran a couple of days, then got my wisdom teeth taken out. So it's been like... Packed a lot in the last yeah, five weeks. Yeah. I'm ready to be back on routine. I'm ready to get excited. I'm doing a workout tomorrow, which I'm finally excited to say. So it's take time. me through yeah. the race itself. You ran mm -hmm. 218 and change. You qualified for another Olympic yeah. marathon trials. Yeah. Not your personal best, but you got it done. Yeah. Take me through the race. Uh, so it kind of starts with the fact that I've only done one other marathon that was five years ago and it went really well. Um, and it's been, let me interject here yeah. by really well, those of you out there in podcast land, he finished seventh mm -hmm. at the U S marathon championships at twin cities yeah. at the time, two fifteen and change. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I had that under my belt and I felt pretty good about it. And then 
the subsequent years, I switched careers, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, it's been a few years since I've been competitive running. And this was kind of my rip the bandaid off. I'm going to go for it. I, everything's lining up. I feel good about my life. I feel good about my routine. And I'm ready to go for it again. And uh, the goal was to get the trials qualifier. The goal is to get the qualifier. And as I started to get fitter and fitter and fitter, I just had to remind myself that because I, you know, the marathon can be anything. And the goal was get that ticket. Um, sure enough, I got fitter and I got, you know, aspirations of getting the A standard, um, which I still think I want to get before the, uh, the, uh, trials in February. But, um, the race was everything I wanted it to be. It was marathon madness. It was like, Honestly, it made me fall in love with running and racing all over again. Um, I had a blast. I came through half at exactly, um, what is it, 77.31. And I was like, great, check. Uh, unfortunately, my legs felt great. 67.31. 67.31, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No. pace. Thank yeah. you. Ooh, that would have been a <laughs> I was thinking big... about that. I'm like, that's more my speed. Uh, not, <laughs> that would have been where, a nice second half. <laughs> Um, yeah, 67.31. And uh, legs felt great. Unfortunately, I had to go to the bathroom. And I spent probably six miles trying to figure out what I was going to do. And you know, in the end, I decided my goal is to qualify for the trials. I have a couple minutes to spare. I can do this. Dove into a porta potty. I, it, there is no, I don't know if you've experienced this. Sitting in a porta potty hearing runners, racers, racers racing by you while you're in a porta potty, there is no, you can't put words to that. That sounds anxiety inducing uh, to I, me. Like there's, there was, I, I ripped my arm, uh, my armbands off. I took my gloves off. I was like, all right, I'm going to come out, you know, ready to go. And then threw up a mile later, like just went straight to a five flat mile, did the stupid, you know, like. Try to make up time. Exactly. Yeah. Just adrenaline, everything. Then threw up and then started to hit a rough patch. So around like miles 18, 19, 20, I started to drop some 530s and 540s. And I was, I just, I felt like, you know, the you feel world. Feel slipping away at that point? Yeah. In fact, there was a point in there where I want to say, I want to say it was around mile 19 or 20 where I ran by my mom and my sister's. I had my family kind of split into two groups and they were alternating between points. And uh, I saw my mom is a, um, well, she's a coach. She's been a coach for 30 years. Pretty damn good coach. She's a great coach. Yes. Which we'll talk about. Yes. She's a phenomenal coach and she, but uh, there's no one that cares more about my running than she does. I, I admittedly cannot care as much like, you know, someday (laughs) I'll have children and I'll know the feeling, but uh, she cares so much and she, I ran by her around mile 20, somewhere in there. And she was on the, like, she was, there was the ropes down, police, you know, she doesn't care. She was on the course. She's a pretty excitable woman. Yeah, we both are. Yeah. Let's just say there's never a dull. I've run into gotten. her on the trails yeah. here. And actually, I ran into her right after CIM. And yeah. she was just like all energy about yeah. your I mean, race and tell me how Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're going to do it, love it. Like, And that's kind of been my theme always. But she got right there. She just spoke to me in the way she speaks very calmly. I could feel it though. And she's like, Jake, you're, you know, you're going to do this. You have minutes to spare. You're good. Keep going. Um, anyway, still was dying, losing it, feeling it slip away. And somewhere towards mile 21 or mile 21, I looked at my watch and it was still a 535, five, something in there. It wasn't like, you know, marathon blow up seven minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. And something in me just, well, 
I thought about, you know, my coaching, what I would talk to my athletes about and, you know, what, what we preach, practice what you preach, be a racer, close, you know, all the things. Um, and then this one, you know, we all look into whatever we, whatever little motivating factor it is. And a personal pet peeve of mine is the, um, quote that starts most people's Instagrams when they have a bad race. And it was, this isn't the day I want it. And I can't tell you how much I, it's just a pet peeve of mine. I'm like, you know what? There's so many good things in life. There's so many great things. Like just look at anything else and, you know, report back happiness. Like it's Instagram. But I was like, I'm not going to have that post. I'm not going to do it. Like just go. And the day before our kid, Liam Anderson had won NXN and, you know, I had enough motivating factors and I was like, run one hard mile. So I went from a 530 to I think a 518. And I was like, okay, run another hard mile. And I went down to a 508. And admittedly, I thought the trials qualifier was 218, not 219. And I remember talking to myself saying, you're going to miss this qualifier. You're going to miss it by a couple seconds. You're going to miss it, but I want to be proud fight, of myself. Fight for it. I want to fight for myself. I want to get to the line no matter what, thinking you did everything you could do and be so proud of yourself because your goal was to be fit, put a bunch of weeks together and get to that line happy and ready for the next one. And I ended up running a 455 last mile and just like full charge, full emotion, full everything. And then I crossed the finish line in 218.04.03 or something, thinking I just missed it because I didn't do my proper research or whatever. <laughs> and uh, then found out that I had gotten it by enough, enough and I was uh, pretty stoked. But it was like marathon, like just everything. So did you go from crossing the line being like, Damn it, seconds. Yeah. I got to do this again to absolute elation when you found out you had a pretty good cushion at that point. No, you know what? I was actually genuinely proud. Like I, I, we preach so often to our athletes, race. That's all we can ask of you. It wasn't about your the numbers. Best. It wasn't about the numbers. And so much for me went into that, uh, the, you know, I, I think we had 16 weeks when I decided to do this. So much went into that and there was so much good that came from those weeks of training. I finished actually genuinely excited for the next one and feeling like a little bit, I'm back, I can race, I can do this. Um, and so I wasn't, weirdly, I wasn't disappointed. And then... Because it had been five years since your yeah. first and last marathon. Yeah. At that point. Yeah, five years. And really, like, I'd had a couple good races in between. But um, nothing that was like indicating to me momentum, like you're, you know, you can still do this. You can still have a seat at the table. I was joking with people that I felt like in the athlete tent beforehand, I was ghost of Christmas past. Like, oh, hey, I'm back, you know, <laughs> you know, it's the same faces. But uh, but yeah, I was I was really just happy. I had my family there. I it's you know, what? I love running and I and I had a great time building up to it and the fact that I was wrong and I actually did qualify by 57 seconds was fabulous. And uh, so it was just, you know, you never get that in our sport. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And you're how old now? 31? 31, yeah. And yeah. take me through the last few years since yeah. that debut marathon that you had in 2013. Yeah. What transpired with your running and what was transpiring in your life yeah. during that so, time? I was actually working full-time at Salesforce. Uh, I was a product marketing manager over there. And so I was doing the, uh, you know, run before work. And then I would actually take the ferry to Marin. I live in San Francisco and I would take the ferry to Marin one day a week, um, usually Tuesdays. My mom 
would meet me in her car at the ferry terminal. I'd give her my work clothes. I'd have changed in the bathroom on the ferry and I'd warm up to Redwood Track. And at 6 p.m. I'd do my workout. And I look back on that time period now and I'm like, I don't know what I was, I, I don't know where that came from. I, I, I'm so glad I did it. Um, and would you just get a ride home from your mom? Yeah. Back to San Francisco? Yeah. Yes. Laura Schmidt is, I mean, this will be the theme throughout, but she, anything, she'll do anything. And, you know, we've had, then that's why we've had great success with our high school kids. But uh, she, uh, yeah, she'd go to the track. It'd be dark. We'd do our work. And then we'd, uh, she'd drive me home. Um, and then I'd do my long runs uh, in the middle of the week. And I would leave um, everything at work, take my phone, run from downtown San Francisco to, you know, Ross Commons. And uh, my mom would meet me there. And so over the Golden Gate Bridge you go. Yeah. And then, I mean, honestly, is there any better long run for marathon training? Like concrete hills. Pretty damn good long run. You get a little yeah. bit of everything yeah. there as yeah. well. You get some trail um, if you want it. Yeah. So I did that, ran, had way, I remember she told me what pace, I, you know, or what time she thought I could run. I looked up the pace and I was like, that's crazy. Are you kidding me? No way. Um, but ran it and I didn't have the experience that most people have where, you know, uh, you feel the length of the marathon, you feel the, the, just the magnitude or the everything of the marathon. And I finished thinking, wow, it was pretty short and that felt pretty good. This is your first one. Yeah, it was my first one. And, um, so I just kind of was like, great, good job. And then life took over a little bit. Uh, I ended up deciding, well, I, uh, went to a spin class after that marathon and uh i'd never been to one before just as recovery yeah curious just curious like all right i'll go check it out and i remember sitting on a bike going oh this is what i should be doing on treadmills i can do this i love this this is amazing and i quit my job shortly thereafter uh i was dead set on it and um so this was the genesis of thoroughbred yeah this was the genesis of thoroughbred and uh Obviously, there was no one I was going to do it with other than my family. Uh, we are kind of ride or dies. Um, you guys are a tight crew. And yeah. I don't know you that well, <laughs> but living in Marin and not far from Redwood High, yeah. where you and your mom coach, where you went to school, yeah. you can, and having been to your treadmill class, like you can see that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my parents uh, grew up in Marin. I mean, my mom's from the East Coast and moved out here when she was in eighth grade. And uh, my parents met at a high school track meet. Uh, my dad ran for Terralinda. My mom ran for uh, Redwood, and then they ended up running at Cal together. Um, so I have my entire family extended here. Um, my running, my life is kind of revolved around running in Marin um, from the beginning. Uh, so with that comes a very close, tight knit family, and everything we do it involves all five of us. And now, you know, my sister's married to uh, a wonderful guy, but he's he and he played in the NFL and he's complete opposite body type of a uh, of a Schmidt but he is in and he's you know he gets it and same with my boyfriend we're all we give you know we take so uh yeah um so when i decided to uh, open that up i first people went to with my parents and they were like yes like they are they are of the ilk to say yes and we'll figure it out um, and that's what happened. So this is 2013, 14, I would say, thereabouts. Yeah, by this time it was 2014. Um, and I, I think I, my last official day was in July of 2014. Um, and then we found the building that we are currently in and we opened the doors, uh, officially the last week of February or unofficially the last week of February, officially the first week of March in 2016. Um, and opening your own business is wow is quite a uh, 
Marathoning is easy. (laughs) Running a race is easy. I can relate to that. I don't have physical doors that I open, but Uh, being self-employed is not an easy road. There's a lot that you have to deal with. It's incredible. And I think living here, people have this weird conception of what a company is and what a startup is and what all these things are. And I'm like, no, I'm just a, we call ourselves a mom and son family business. And, uh, you know, we're not doing series C funding for $40 million or whatever. It's, it's, uh, we live in a very peculiar area in, in that respect. And so Thoroughbred, correct me if I'm wrong, was the first, is it the only treadmill studio on the West Coast? Uh, so there are, yeah, we are the only one uh, that I know of. I think there's one other one down south that does kind of a more circuit style class. Mm -hmm. But uh, in terms of when we opened, there was um, Mile High Run Club in Manhattan uh, had opened about a year before us. And uh, I've actually been fortunate enough to go over there and check it out. And it's pretty cool. So So when you were in that spin class, did you have any idea that a treadmill studio was a thing or could be a thing? Or you just thought, I want to replicate this on a treadmill for runners and then in that time period between when you took that spin class and when you opened the studio, you learned about Mile High and some of the other stuff that was happening on the East Coast? Correct. Okay. So I'm kind of your quintessential millennial that like heard follow your passion too many times growing up. And uh, I always knew I wanted to own my own business and I was kind of had that mindset. Uh, after college, I actually went to culinary school because I thought I was going to own restaurants. Um, but food, I think I was just really hungry at the end of college. And <laughs> uh, it's a more of a hobby than, a, you know, 24-7, this is what I'm going to sink my teeth into. So I did a little wayfinding after college and uh, got a job because, you know, you got to do that. And uh, I wanted to make sure that that wasn't what I wanted to be doing forever or if it was. Um, but uh, yeah, I when I was on that bike, I just remember thinking, this is it. This is how I can make money with running. Um, and that was pretty quick after that. And take me through the next few years with Thoroughbred because here in Marin County, for those of you who have never been here, it is probably the most amazing place in the world to run year round. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Not to rub it in your faces, but it really is. is, And my first thought was, why the hell would you want to run on a treadmill (laughs) if you live in Marin? Um, But then I've been to your class. I get it. I see the appeal. It's full. You're entering year three of business yeah. now. Was it a challenge to sell that idea to the community here in Marin? Yes. I and my mom will be the first to say our biggest com- competition is Mount Tam. Our biggest competitor is Marin County. Um, yes. But what's great is, and I think that um, growing up as an elite athlete, you see the difference and you acknowledge the difference between um, what running can bring you in terms of landscape and beauty and connection with the earth and all the wonderful things about being outdoors, but then also the components of, you know, I'm targeting some physiological development and advancement and I need to do a speed workout on the track. Um, It's simply, you know, it's as simple as that. Uh, I think having that mindset, you know, having always kind of been drawn to the treadmill in a weird way. And I think that's why I like the marathon and in college around the 10K, you know, I just like monotony. I like to be able to click things off and kind of dialed in. Um, and uh, yeah, so convincing people, talking to people, it's it's been wonderful product development and elevator pitch development, um, working with explaining to uh, runners in Marin County, 
why you should come inside and join us for your speed workout. Um, if you want to get faster, you have to run fast. And there's, it's not going to happen necessarily on your long run on Mount Tam. Um, but uh, the other wonderful part of this is I, we really wanted to bring running into the fitness world. Um, I'm sure you've dealt with this before, but growing up, I've, you know, all my entire life, I've wanted to go running with friends because that's like going to coffee. Um, and friends that don't necessarily aren't elite runners will say, oh my God, no, I would never run with you. You're, you're way too fast. Not your speed, right? Yeah, right. And in my mind, I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm not t- asking you to go for a tempo run. I'm asking you to just go for a delightful run and hang out. Um, so hearing that over and over and over again, and you know, we always hear running is so hard. I don't know how you do it. I, I want to show as many people as possible how running can be fun, how you can incorporate it into your life, how it is this thing that is not necessarily hard. It's an activity. It's physical. Um, but it makes you feel so good. At least it makes me feel so good. Um, and that was really what Thoroughbred started with was we're not targeting runners. We're targeting people who don't have running in their lives or are not using running um, to better their lives in a positive, happy way. And we're going to introduce uh, it to them. Yeah, we're going to introduce it to them. And now I love, love, there's nothing better than talking to uh, women and men who have never identified as runners in their entire lives. And they're talking to me about their tempo pace and how it's, you know, gotten a little bit faster. And I'm like, the language you're using is awesome. Or they'll talk about interval pace and it's great. Have you seen some of your clients at Treadmill, at Treadmill, at Thoroughbred, from running on the treadmill, eventually take it outside and just break through that barrier that they've set up in their own mind that I can't run outside or I have no business running outside or I can't have other people watching me and kind of embrace both, be able to go to your class and say, I love being here. I love the community that Jake and Laura have built here at Thoroughbred. But at the same time, I have these amazing trails and mountain in my backyard and I'm going to go take advantage of that too. It has been the most wonderful unexpected uh, result that we've seen. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have just fully started crying when they come back to Thoroughbred. They're like, I have not run in 20 years. I was told I couldn't run. I came here and they started walking and then they started jogging and then they started running and they'll go out and they come back and they will say off of, you know, uh, recently I just, one of our good friends is lives over, good friends through Thoroughbred. I've met, it's incredible how many new friends I have uh, via our business. Um, but I drew her my long run over here on Phoenix Lake and she lives in Sausalito and she had never been to this side of the mountain and she had never run, you know, Phoenix Lake and Yolanda and Pipeline and Taylor and all the trails. Amazing that I grew trails, up on. Right. Yeah, wonderful trails. And, you know, she came back and she was so excited and she's like, yeah, and I heard you in my head, you know, saying whatever coach thing I say. And, uh, and that's, that's everything. I mean, that's really what we intended to do is share that with people. So as you're getting the business off the ground, you're in your late 20s at the time. You had a successful collegiate career many years prior. You just run this fast marathon. What happened to your running in those couple of years that you were growing the business and getting it going? Yeah, I. Um, ju- uh, so in the time period of when I left Salesforce and we had not opened yet, I actually ended up having knee surgery. Um, there was a bone growth that was growing out of my knee into my hamstring. And I guess I had had it since uh, puberty. And I'd always had pain in my hamstring and I'd never really identified it. I'm kind of a little bit headstrong in the fact that I just think 
it's supposed to hurt. You know, I've, you know, just keep going. Just accept it. Yeah. Uh, which is not good. Anybody listening, <laughs> don't do that. Um, so I ended up having knee surgery in somewhere in between there and uh, was back running again a little bit before we opened. Because um, I had obviously from the marathon five years ago qualified for the 2016 Olympic trials um, and was just not going to be able to get back in time for that uh, in terms of recovery from the surgery. But um once we open the doors at Thoroughbred, we run the class with the class, with the group. Uh, we're up on a podium in the front of the room and I will run usually about seven miles during a class. Um, so running became a little haphazard and a little disorganized. I'm a very routine person. I do not like adventure runs. I like track. I like my... This is my route. Yeah. I know how far it is. <laughs> Yeah. Very calculated. Uh huh. Um, I, I love the mountain, but I also love routine. And, you know, that's what comes with, you know, running fast. But uh, I, so running became haphazard. I was teaching, you know, maybe three classes a day. Classes were, you know, for one person or two people. You know, you're getting a business off the ground. And I just had, was debilitated, like completely. I remember we didn't know how to, uh, talk with the mic and the music. You know, you go to these uh, group classes and everybody's so brilliant at talking over the music and motivating and I didn't understand it. I mean, my younger sister and I, we lost our, we had, we tried every throat spray. We tried, we didn't know what we were doing. We were yelling, we were breaking the mics. We didn't know how to use anything and, you know, like things you just never do. And I was just exhausted, like just pure exhaustion. We learned how to do everything and it takes time and pretty know, good at it by, now. Oh, thank speaking you. from my own experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it takes, everything takes time and it doesn't matter if you know how to run you, you everything takes time. Uh, so it took a while for me to kind of get my groove back and to figure out how to get my schedule down to a point where I can now leave the studio and feel comfortable with it and go do a workout. I, I think my biggest barrier to successful post-collegiate running has always been the fact that it is inherently selfish. Um, I I love it so much and I want nothing more than to be a fast runner. But I get these underlying, I'm sure we all do, but I get these underlying uh, bubbles of anxiety when I'm not doing something that's helping or if, you know, uh, if I'm out doing a workout, I feel selfish if somebody else is doing something for me. And, uh, you know, that took a while to kind of navigate between. Well, I think especially when you have your own business, speaking for <sighs> myself, I feel like if I'm out running for myself, I'm not helping out my athletes that I coach right. or I'm not, you know, researching my next guest that I could be doing. So, and and you, it's hard to pull yourself away from that when you're accountable to yourself. Yeah. And I, I mean, and this is another thing where it's like, I'm sitting there and my mom's saying, yes, go, please do it, do it, do it, do it. Um, and, it, you know, it, it really, just like anything else in life, like it has to come from within you. It has to, or else when you're out there, it's going to just turn to a negative space. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to run a 20 mile workout, you know, hit mile repeats, whatever, you need to feel really good mentally. You need to feel really solid footing. And I think it's, it's like just the old intent. adage that you're going to do your best running when everything else in your life is yeah. going well around you. My college coach, clean room, clean, clean room, clean life. Like that's like it. That. Yeah. Um, and that's really the case, uh, you know. And um, yeah, so I finally, you know, it finally has just started to click and I've felt like ready to go, ready to go, ready to go and just decided to rip the bandaid off. <laughs> when did that happen? 
it was August and it was a good, a good friend of mine who is not a runner at all, but loves, you know, running and coming to Thoroughbred. Uh, she was, she had said, you know, I just signed up for her CIM, da, 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 da. And I was like, ugh. If you get to do it, I want to do it. Like, what am I waiting for? And it was that. It was just this moment. It was right after class. I just taught and, you know, she's she's a great, wonderful person. And everything she does is with total vigor and excitement. And I was like, I, I'm waiting for nothing. I need to just go. Um, and that was it. So that flipped the switch for you. Yeah, yeah. And was it hard to get back into training? Because you were training at a very high level, putting yeah. in heavy mileage, some of that while teaching class, mm-hmm. but then you had to do your own thing to mm-hmm. hit the goal that you wanted to hit. Was that a challenge for you or was it easier than it was in the past for some reason? It was it was a little bit of both. I think because, you know, normally if you equate time off to an injury or just time off in general, you're not running as much as I was. So I was running and while I was haphazard, I was still running. Um, so I, you know, I love a long run. I would do a long run, whether it was 90 minutes or a little bit longer, or a little less. I was still doing that every week, so I wasn't coming with coming in with zero fitness. Um, I was coming in with I like doing workouts, so I would always be trying to get in a workout, mm-hmm. not as high volume, of course, but enough where I'm like, you know, I like to rip off a couple four forty five, four fifty miles every once in a while. So I don't think it was hard in that respect. I started relatively low on the volume side, and then just kind of gradually built, but. It felt pretty good. And your mom was coaching you. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, she is, she's is. she been my coach. She's coached at Redwood High School for 30 years. Um, when I she took time off to raise us beautiful children. Um, but uh, when I was back in high school, uh, she was just the track coach. And she was really happy to have someone else be my cross-country coach so that I had, you know, just a a normal, different perspective, different type of sure. coach-athlete relationship so I could experience that because obviously she wasn't going to go with me to college. Um, but uh, she's been, yeah, she's been there every step of the way and certainly wouldn't change that now. Hey, it's time for a quick pause so we can thank our sponsor for this episode. It is Strava. Now, if you've been following me long enough, you know that I love Strava. I'm an avid user. I've been on the platform for five years. You can check out my training if you want, but you should check out their new podcast. It's called Athletes Unfiltered, and it is a collection of inspiring stories from the Strava community told by the runners and cyclists who live them. You'll hear from a runner who loses his sight and discovers a new community, a drummer who passes up the after party so he can get up early to ride bikes with his fans and connect in a way that he never could from on stage. A mountain biker who watched the trails that he loves burst into flames, and then he created an app to help rally his community around rebuilding them. And along the way, they'll tackle some of the big scary questions that every athlete has to find answers to, like, why am I doing this? Am I getting too old? Will I ever run again? And no, that's not just me asking these questions to myself out loud, but the answers these athletes give might help you find some of your own. I recommend giving the Athletes Unfiltered podcast a listen. You can subscribe to it wherever you consume your audio content. That's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. All the platforms should have it. They also have a landing page at blog.strava.com slash podcast that has links to every episode they've posted so far. I highly recommend checking it out. I've enjoyed the first couple episodes so far. I look forward to listening to the wide range of athlete stories that they have in store and will be rolling out over the next several months. Um... And that's it. My thanks to Strava for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. As you mentioned, you come from a running family. Both your mom and your dad were 
great high school runners, both ran collegiately a little bit afterward. And then as you were growing up, you were around it. Your mom was coaching. I remember reading somewhere, you being like two years old, chasing your mom around the track, you know, while she was, was coaching. But it doesn't sound like you were ever pushed in that direction to run competitively. If anything, your mom held you back and was trying to restrain you from going down that route. I'd love to get some of your thoughts on that as you were growing up, the role that running played in your life and how your parents managed that with you. Yeah. I mean, it really starts with, I can remember and everybody always asks, oh, what gets, you know, what got you into running? And it was this idea that my parents would leave every Saturday and Sunday, you know, come back from work or whatever, but they'd leave off on a run and we'd be sitting at home watching TV and they'd come back and they would be smiling ear to ear, you know, runners, high endorphins, all the stuff, talking, everything, they feel great. And I'm like, okay, what are they going out and doing? What is that? And I want part of that. And so obviously, you know, you get older and you go for a 400 meter run or a mile run with your parents and you start to feel it. And uh, so that was kind of where it started. But um, in middle school, you go to the middle school meets and one kid just goes off and runs and happens to be in front of everybody else. I mean, that's, and that was fortunately me. It was a great. I was, you know, had a little proclivity towards it. Um, and my parents never, ever suggested anything with training. Um, I grew up as a swimmer, so I was fully into, like I was, I had my outlet. I had my, um, competitive, you know, whatever outlet. Yeah. And you were building an engine. Yes. And I knew that I liked sports where I got to win. That was it. I hated basketball, baseball, anything where there was a situation where you had to sit down or take a time. Like all that stuff was not for me. I wanted on the swim team. I wanted to be on both the relays, swim as many events as I could. You know, I just was that kid that wanted to uh, go race. And, And you had control over it. Correct. Whereas in a team sport, you've got to rely on other people. Yeah, that was just not for me. Okay. Uh, um, but uh, so I remember the only workout I ever did in middle school uh, was I my eighth grade year, there was a county record in the 1200. And in Marin County, in middle school, we run the 600 and the 1200 at our one track meet in the year. And I uh, the county record, I think, was it had to have been like th- just over 330 because my mom took me out to the track and she said, okay, you have to run three laps and they have to be 70 seconds each. And so I ran three laps and I'm, I have no clue what I ran. I mean, who knows? But I ended up running the, the you know, exactly that in the race. And so that was my one track workout, uh, one workout before I got to high school. And um, I never really thought that what I was doing was unique. I mean, I remember going to one of the... Um, USATF meets in cross country in seventh grade. And it was so intense that right afterwards, I think I got, you know, second place or whatever. Right after I was like, mom, dad, I never want to come to one of these again. This was, you know, way too intense. The parents were yelling. I remember there was one parent on a walkie talkie saying into the walkie talkie, I don't know who this kid is. He's nobody you know, we don't know who he is. And I was like, oh my God, they're talking about me. So I was done with it. Like I just couldn't, there was not for me. So we waited until high school, but uh, it was just, you know, fun. Where do you think your competitiveness comes from? Oh gosh, I don't know. I think it, uh, I think because I was able to win races as a little kid 
and you know the feeling of what it feels like to win, that's kind of something that I've always wanted to keep. It's a hard thing to let go of. Yeah, you know, in fact, I had mentioned to you just now that I read uh, Diener Castor's book recently over the winter break. And one of my favorite uh, things to learn from it was that she was a little uh, phenom when she was a little girl. And so often we hear about these careers of kids who, you know, kind of blossom in high school and then they're done. But uh, she really figured out how to keep that little nugget of what winning felt like and take it through her entire career. And I think that winning is, while it's maybe a little negative to say that's what you like to do, that's really what we're all in it for. And if you can figure out how to keep doing it, I mean, it just feels really good. And it can be positive. Yeah, and I think in some of those situations, using Dina as an example, it doesn't really leave you. And you can channel it to other areas of your life. And that's not a negative thing if you're letting that drive you to become your best. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome. I think, uh, you know, it's something that can evolve and it can grow into other places of your life. Winning can be, you know, you're treating people in a wonderful way and you're creating wonderful relationships because you, uh, that feeling that whatever, you know, intangible thing that is running through your body is you get it different, uh, different avenues of your life fulfill that in a different way. Great relationships, doing well in school, being a successful business person. Um, those are all related. And it's just to chase that. What's it like to be coached by your mom? Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, there's no one that knows you better. I think that I actually do have a unique mom who is able to separate, not not now because now we're together 24-7, but when I was growing up, she was really able, both my parents were really well adept at separating what happened on the track with who I was, I was their child, with what I wanted. Um, And I think the most wonderful display of that was I, when I went to college, I actually went to Cal first and that's where both my parents ran. And they watched as I kind of struggled, didn't really hit my stride, was kind of getting left behind and they didn't say anything. They just were happy. Everything's great. Life's good. We're pretty easygoing people. And the day I came home and said I wanted to transfer, it was kind of like the first time I took control of my running in terms of like, this is the direction I want to take it. This is what I want to do. And they didn't blink an eye. They're like, oh, okay, great. Let's figure it out. Let's get it going. Um, And later on, I found out that they were both, you know, watching and concerned. I mean, I'm starting to run slower and I'm not clearly looking like I'm having a good time. So what's going on? But they didn't, they didn't, they didn't bat an eye. They didn't let me know that they were concerned. And uh, yeah, I just, it's, they have a wonderful, wonderful way of separating from that. Between, I mean, yeah, that's a fine line between giving you the guidance that you need as you're young and coming up and learning this thing and obviously they have expertise in it to letting you figure some things out for yourself and failing and making mistakes and learning how to problem solve so that you know you can move forward that's a I think that's a tricky balance it is a really tricky balance and I am very uh interested to see you know like as I you know eventually have kids and how see how that plays out but I I I know that it comes from the fact that they just wanted us to be happy and whether I was running or I went to culinary school or I you know they they're they were concerned that I was happy and that's you know what they taught when I was younger was 
they taught me to love running and that was what has kept me going for so long and that's what keeps me going you know forever is my parents never preached you have to be people you have to be this fast it was always i mean we you and i live in marin county and you know because of the dipsy we can you know whatever the there's a generation of runner here that you as a young kid you look up and i would go to the dipsy dipsy and i'd see russ kiernan or melody Ann schultz running as a 70 year old and that's what i always wanted to do i always said i wanted to be running as an old man on the mountain that was my running goal um and that was what my parents really genuinely taught me and instilled in me well that's the power of community Right there. And we have a great one here yeah. in Marin County. And I think that's why it's important, regardless of where you live, to build that community around you to inspire those younger generations. Because if that's what you know from the time that you're a young kid, running isn't something that's a punishment. Running isn't something that you dread or that just crazy people do. It's a part of your yeah. life. And you see it as something that you can do for the rest of your life. And yeah. That inherently that makes a lot of sense to me because I live in it now and I see it, but it's not the case around the country. And I mean, wouldn't this just be a much better place if like <laughs> if if that were the, if that yeah. were the case if yeah. we kind of grew up that way? And not that everyone has to be a runner, but it's just as I said, shows the power of you know of community and how that can stick with you throughout your life as you know you just alluded to. Yeah, I mean, I think back now to I don't know if you you know Mike Finelli. Yeah. Um and I see him over at the Com Track. Yeah. all the time. And recently I was just telling someone this when I was in I think I was in it was the summer going into 7th grade, I wanted to break 5 in the mile. And he was turning 50 and he wanted to break 5 in the mile as a 50-year-old. And so we spent the summer going to the Tamalpa track meets and I would show up and I, uh, my mom had said, hey, or my dad, whoever, had said, he's going to run exactly what you need to do. You know, just follow Mike. And uh, I just think back to the visual of a little 13-year-old boy and a 50-year-old man, <laughs> you know. <laughs> battling it out. Battling it out. Both of us wanting the same thing. Both of us loving running. Both of us, I think the first time we came up short and the second time we came up short and the third, you know, one of the times he got it and I didn't because um, I ended up, breaking it at Kizar track. But I, uh, I look back on that and that's what running has always been for me. It's, and it's perfectly pictured in that. And that's why I'm sure thoroughbred was always in my future. And it's me running with, you know, a group, a group of non-runners that are just hooting and hollering and having a blast. And I'm up there and, you know, there's a huge, in any other, uh, arena for running that never happens. But we are feeding off of each other and it's a blast. And that's kind of what running is for me. Yeah. And that can happen anywhere. Yeah. I really think it can. Yeah. A lot of things I want to dig into there. Let's go back to CIM. One thing you had said to me was that that race itself, and maybe it was even the buildup to that race, has just reinvigorated your running career. And now you've qualified for the trial, so you've got that coming up. You'll run another marathon before then. What was it about that race or the experience of training for the race that reinvigorated you and got you excited to take your own running seriously again? Not that you, I mean, yeah, I guess take it seriously again. Because as you said before, like it was kind of haphazard for a while. Yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, I, I, I have qualified for three Olympic trials now and I have yet to compete in one. I think that part of it is 
uh, you know, there was a motiva- motivation for me where I've, uh, my boyfriend and I have been together now for three years and he has never really seen me compete at a super high level. And I think that there was a driving force that I was going to go, he, my family unit is growing and my life has changed and I have this wonderful, wonderful life now. Everything just feels great. And I wanted to have that be there with him and I wanted to have pictures of our family together. Um, and I want that to be part of my story as I go forward. Um, I think that it's sometimes it's just timing. It's just you get that little spark and then your body starts to respond and the motivation, the build, it it keeps evolving and growing. You know, sometimes we we think we're ready and we hit a little niggle and we have to stop and you know the the, the fire gets pushed down. But this time it really just kind of steamrolled and it snowballed and it was everything was awesome. And you know, it just feels you know it feels good. Yeah. This is great. I I know very well because I was, I mean, I'm five years older than you, but I was in the same boat and it was something about this year, not just CIM because I did Boston earlier this year and and that's where I was experiencing that where, you know, I ran at a high level in high school and college, ran at kind of a high level in like my early twenties when I got out of school and like, I've never stopped running, but I've always had other things that took priority or caused me to deprioritize my mm-hmm. own training. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the buildup to Boston this year, I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, put the oxygen mask on first, as they say, yeah. and take care of myself and then, you know, take care of everyone else. And that flip in mindset, one was huge, but two, just being able to feed off the energy of everyone else who was either training for the same race or supporting me or that I could share the experience with, like just catapulted me to a place that I haven't been in like 15 years. Yeah. And it's crazy how that happens. It's amazing. And I I would say also, though, something that's always kept the fire burning in me to be competitive is our high school athletes. I We've been so fortunate over the past, I've been coaching now for nine years. And over the course of nine years, we've had some incredible athletes. And I love watching them race. I, I love coaching them. I love everything about it and uh, watching them compete and take it so seriously. Take, I mean, our team, our athletes, the uh, the ones who rise to the top, the ones who are, you know, the leaders of our team, they take it so seriously. There is, I mean, it's awesome. And that has always inspired me. And I'm sure that's why I kept doing my long runs and kept doing workouts and kept trying to restart it and kept going, you know, it's, it, there, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to go to practice. And, you know, I was able to do a couple workouts with our kids this year where we lined it up right. And, you know, we made it work and that's so fun. I mean, who gets to do that with a bunch of high school kids? And Redwood is one of, I mean, it's one of the best high school programs in the country, I would say. I mean, you just had Liam Gallagher, who... Anderson. Anderson. Liam Gallagher is the guy from Oasis, I think. (laughs) Liam Anderson, I don't know why that came to mind. But Liam Anderson won NXN. He's national champion. Your mom's been coaching at the school for 30 years, and there's been tremendous runs, including yourself. You were a California Mm -hmm. state champion in high school and went on to run in college who have gone through the program. So, as you said, you have people who are taking it seriously and are putting up incredible results, but... You've also done an incredible job of not letting running overrule their lives or training them at such a level that by the time they leave high school, they're completely fried and are either injured all through college or just want nothing to do with the sport. So let's dig into that Mm -hmm. next from a coaching standpoint. Speaking for you 
and your mom, so you've obviously learned quite a bit from her. How do you ride that fine line of taking the sport seriously as a high schooler, but not overtraining someone and burning Mm -hmm. them out on the sport? I think it's uh, a lot of restraint. I mean, right now, you were seeing the the fruit of one boy's four years of labor, um, and it's awesome. But uh, I think the most important thing and an intangible thing is to teach the love of running. Just like it's, uh, you know, it was my goal, and I can go back and see high school art, high articles of me in high school, and I, I'm quoted as saying, "My goal is to be an old man running on the mountain." Um, I think that that is something that we instill in our athletes and we really, really want them to leave Redwood with. Embracing Uh, the lifestyle. Embracing the lifestyle. Uh, My mom has, you know, always, since before I was, you know, while I was off in college, her big, um, you know, claim to fame or not claim to fame, but her big talking point was always, anybody who wants to run post high school will run in college. Whether you're on the University of Oregon club team or you are running for University of Washington, that you can run. And as many kids as she could get running, she would. She would call club coaches. She would call, you know, the best coaches in the country. She'll get them running. Um, And so when we got a crop of really talented, wonderfully athletic kids, that was already the culture. And that's always been the culture. Um, What is great then is if you have that as a base, you can manage all the chaos that comes with high school, which is going to come at you in college. Um, There's a lot of uh, opportunity for these high school kids. And I think what we're seeing now is the ability to restrain, you know, keep restraint, not restrain the kid, but restrain ourselves from saying yes to all these meets. Um, You know, we are able to give a four-year plan for a kid that wants to go run for the next 20 years. Um, And they go off and they have success. Hopefully. As I was researching for this interview, I pulled almost that exact quote out of an article from your mom about you oh. saying, <laughs> <laughs> saying that if anything, I need to restrain him because yeah. left to his own devices, he's just, he's going to go crazy and run himself, you know, into the ground. And, you know, here you are 31 years old, reinvigorated and yeah. still going after it and still trying to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. And that's a pretty incredible thing. Thanks. I uh, I think also the fact that my mom and I love coaching so much uh, is great. And we also have the same brain. We, I, so I joke that I feel bad for the kids. Like, you know, what's the thing you, you know, if mom says no, dad, you go to dad. Well, in this case, Jake and Laura are the same brain. So you, Laura could be gone somewhere often, you know, whatever. And she I'll says just, no, Jake's going to say no. Yeah, and, she doesn't, and she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to wonder. She doesn't have to think. Um, we are very in tune. And so when we when we sit down and we write out the year plan for our kids, it's not even, it's weird. It's not even like a discussion. We just go, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Okay, great, next, and da, 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 da. And it's, uh, it's a nice, it's nice to have a sounding board with one, someone you trust fully, and you know is on the same mindset as you. And then two, it's also great because when I came in, I was a brand new coach. And so I was coming off of college and I was obviously a little bit more, um, shall we say, aggressive with, you know, workouts and what we should be doing. And, you know, I'd 
see the kids on the first day in August and I'd be like, oh my God, what, what is this? And she'd be like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Just wait, just wait, just wait. And like, okay. And so for probably three years, I'd be like, oh God, you know, did anyone run over the summer? Did anything happen? And sure enough, every year, you know, everything starts to play out the way it's supposed to play out. And uh, after seeing that for a couple of years and learning what it means to be a high school athlete and what it means to develop someone from a little 14-year-old to an 18-year-old, um, it's nice. It's nice to watch. And it's really nice to see kids develop. And what I love about high school coaching the most is we have the, their first touch to the sport. We have their first um, kind of this is could be something you do for the rest of your life. Uh, and it's a really powerful, powerful thing that I hold precious and I hold responsibility for. I want to introduce kids to running and I want them to love it forever. From a training standpoint, how do you, one, hold them back Mm -hmm. and then two, prepare them in such a way so that every year their training is building upon the year before and just getting them to buy into all of that? It takes being very deliberate. Uh, just, and I think that as I watch high school, uh, unfold and across the country, I think that high school coaches more and more are realizing this, but there are so many traditions and routines and, um, historical figures that keep people going to the same cross country meets or track meets year over year over year over year. And I never understood why that's a thing. I never understood because we always talk about the individuality of an athlete and the individuality of a person, yet the routine of coaches is, you know, just to go to do the same things every year. And we've been very deliberate with the meet schedule that we pick for our kids. And every single race we go to has a purpose. And it is never the same year over year. And the workouts we do are super purposeful towards what our goals are. We sit down with our kids every June, right after track season, and we, you know, have them write down on their note cards what... Uh, they want to do in cross-country season, what they want to do in track season, and what they want to do by the time they graduate. And, you know, with, for example, a kid like Liam, if he writes down, we obviously we knew he wanted to be the NXN champion. That was a given. Um, so we modeled our year for him on that mindset. And we did our workouts on what it's going to feel like to have to race the last thousand meters uh, of a cross-country race. And he knew it and he knew everything we did. And there was reasons why we went to different meets. And in fact, this year, for example, we, every, uh, I think, yeah, his first three years, we went to Mount Sac. Mount Sac's a great, wonderful, incredible invitational. It serves what we think good purpose many years for our kids to go run in LA and get beat by Southern California kids and realize that there's a whole nother part of the state. Um, but NXN's on grass and it has nothing to do with the Mount Sac course at all. Um, so we took him to a tiny meet here and he ran on grass and it happens to be on our section course, which is great. But we said, just go run hard, like no tactics, no nothing, go run hard on grass because that's what you're going to do. And it was purposeful. And he didn't even question that his senior year, he wasn't going to go to Mount Sac, you know, and get glory and all this stuff. He, he's a special kid, but he knew there was purpose for it. And our boys team, you know, similarly, we're trying to get them to run as well as possible at state. And, you know, we had reasons for them. We wanted them to be in the front of a meet running together as a unit. 
Uh, and they didn't even question that they weren't going to Mount Sac. It was a really cool, you know, it's just a great thing. And that we do that stuff all the time with our kids. And, uh, you know, some years we don't go to Arcadia and there's reasons why. And they just, they believe. Well, and I imagine too, when you have a history of success, tradition, and a culture that has been built, in Redwood's case, over the last three decades, yeah. when a new kid comes in, it makes it a little easier for them to buy in because they've seen the success that others in the program have had. They've seen the development that these kids have had and gone on to running college and beyond that, just make running a part of their life. And I imagine because of that, you might not get as much pushback. Yeah, we have a, now we have it pretty easy. And that's a lot in part because Laura's put in many, many, many years of setting the culture. Um, And, you know, there are years where we are not good. And that is what it is. Because for for everybody else who's not in Marin County, for many years, soccer used to be in the fall for boys and in the spring for girls. And our track team and cross-country team suffered greatly because our rule was you had to come to practice five days a week and six if you're on varsity for Saturdays. And there was never a question as to whether you could do both soccer and uh, track and field. Good example of this, Steve Sidaro. Um, he yeah. started running um, his junior year. Every year he came out to, he was a year behind me actually at Redwood. Every year he came out to the track in cross country and said, Hey, you know, my name's Steve. I, I really want to run. I can come three days a week. I have soccer. And my mom said, that's fantastic. Um, can't wait to have you when you decide to be a runner. And when you decide to come out, we are here in the fall and we are here in the spring. It's going to be awesome. Um, and he came out every year. And then finally his junior year, he said, okay, I, I quit soccer. I, I want to run. And my mom said, great. He ended up being a, uh, NCS champion, the fall, his first and only season in cross country. Uh, my mom begged to get him into Cal, and he ended up being a Pac-10 steeplechase champion and a sub four sub minute four and a miler. miler. Um, so great example of restraint from Laura's part, but she believes in the culture of the program, and she believes. I mean, it's so obvious. You would never say a kid who plays basketball would never say to his coach or her coach, "Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be on varsity, but I actually have." Da, 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 and I'm going to miss practice twice a week. That's just, it's never been the culture of those sports. But for some reason, we, you know, we expect 80%. And I, and, you know, my mom's never had that as a threshold. It's always been, if you're on the team, you're on the team, respect what you're doing, respect your teammates. And because of that, the kids, they know right away. Yeah. I mean, we have tryouts for our cross country team every year. And, you know, that was novel a couple of years ago, but now it's the culture. I think those are some great takeaways. There are many high school coaches who listen to this podcast. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I think they can learn a lot from the examples that you and your mom have set at Redwood and apply to their own programs because I think there is a lot of confusion out there amongst athletes, coaches, and parents about how should you approach the sport in high school, especially when you have some talented kids and there's maybe a scholarship dangling in front of them or, you know, whatever it may be. And just bringing it back to the fact that, hey, this should be an enjoyable pursuit for your kid. It should be something that they want to be a part of, not just now, but hopefully beyond this. And 
yes, we can push them and train them hard and help them realize their potential. But when they leave here, they're still only 18. So we don't want to burn them out before they get to the next stage of their life. And I say, and I argue, and my mom will say the same thing because same brain happens. But (laughs) high school is development point for everyone. And I say way before you get to the point of a scholarship or way before you get to the point of you're a good athlete, you're learning and you're creating your life. And you're now, you are, for the first time in your life, you're 15, 16 years old, you're figuring out how how, how to prioritize your time. You're in X AP classes, you maybe have a job, you have other commitments, and you have this block of time that you're giving yourself every single day after school. And so for our kids who are not buying in and they're not enjoying it and they're, you know, they come every day and they have shin splints, so they come every day and they have something else and it's clear that they're not getting from it the fulfillment that we want them to get, we often are having the same conversation and we're saying, hey, you seem to really actually love doing this other thing. You're you're taking away from that thing. And we want you to be spending your time appropriately. You're learning a life skill. You're learning how to value your free time and your drive. Don't be putting it over here just because you're told that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and that way we have we have a very small cross-country team for the amount of and track team for the amount of talent we get. And that's because we're keeping it to the kids who want to be there and are valuing their time. I mean the the idea of doing what you love doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen because you like if I went to drama every day, I'm sure I'd have fun, but I it, it would not it would have been misdirected. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, have what I loved and learn it, but really cultivate it and really be around other people that loved it. And, you know, that's probably the theme that will come out of this conversation. It's whether it's a peer of mine that I'm still friends with because we raced against each other in high school or Mike Finelli, who was running around the track with me at age 50 or my parents, you know, like it doesn't matter the demographic we shared that. And I, and I want for my high school kids, or I should say, I want for our high school kids that they have that. They're coming to practice with two coaches that love it so much. They're surrounded by teammates that really love what they're doing. Um, and it's a it's a it's it's the culture that we have. It's the community that we're trying to create. I think that is an awesome takeaway. I don't want to end the conversation yeah. just yet. Let's bring it back to you. Mm-hmm. You're 31 now, mm-hmm. just qualified for the trials. Mm-hmm. Goal is to get to the start line. You haven't done that yet in the three times that you've qualified for the trials. Yeah. On some level, you still want to be that old man running on the mountain mm-hmm. many years from now, but coming off of CIM with the momentum that you have still being at an age where you can get faster Mm -hmm. and you can still compete at a high level. What would you like to accomplish for yourself as an athlete in the next certainly year leading Mm -hmm. up to the trials and maybe even beyond that? Uh, I definitely want to get the A standard. I want to break 215. Um, I, I don't know how at this point in my career I can still have a little bit of a blind eye to important facts. Um, something that we, you know, we always tell our high school kids is you're not allowed to go on the internet. Do not ever type in www.letsrun.com ever. Do not ever type in, when I was in high school, the rules, no die stat. Um, because you don't let that even come near your brain. Um, and I've, and I think that wonderfully a perfect execution of that or perfect image of that was when I was racing and I thought the trials qualifier was a minute faster than it was. Had it, had I known that it was 219, maybe I would have a little bit led into that experience. So 
Yeah, I go back to that saying that, but uh, when I ran 215.09, I didn't know that the A standard was 215 flat. And I I should have, but I really want to get that. So I would like to go do that. I think I'm going to run um, Grandma's in June. Okay. Um, that'd be great. It's in Minnesota. I love Minnesota. Um, it'll be really fun. Um, so I want to do that. I would like to get my half marathon PR down. It's 64.50. Needs to be faster than that. I think you're in. Didn't you run a couple sixty fives leading up to CIM? Yes, I did, and it was awesome. Uh, I mean, like, uh, what did I do? The <laughs> I saw you do the one in Healdsburg. The Healdsburg one was awesome. by yourself. Yeah, on a tough course, which was a really impressive effort. I and I ran a couple five. I was a little bit of a stinker in the beginning of that one because I remember being a little grumpy when I when it started out. I was talking to your wife beforehand, and I was like trying to be all positive and excited, and then the gun went off, and I was like, Ugh, it's cold. <laughs> I'm by myself, like, da, 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 you know, like totally leaning into all the bad things. And I ended up seeing uh, um, one of our good friends uh, that's a coach at Maria Korea High School. He was doing a water station. And I, just seeing him made me so excited. I gave him a high five. And then I think I started throwing down some like 445 miles. It was right when, right before I saw you, I was like, okay, let's go. Let's turn it on. Um, so that one was fun. The funniest one, though, was uh, I ran San Jose half. And I've never done that one before. And I actually, before San Jose, I'd only run half marathons that I'd won by a significant amount. So I'd never done a competitive one. I did um, uh, the New Haven 20K right out of college. So that was, you know, essentially competitive half, you know, same time. U.S. championship at the time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so that was great. But at this point, it's like eons ago. Um, So I was at Clovis Invitational the day before in Fresno running around coaching, drove to San Jose, woke up the next morning, so cranky. Uh, it's fine. My mom came, she ran too, probably in solidarity, probably like, <laughs> look, we can do this. It's fine. I was at the meet yesterday with you. It's okay. <laughs> Your hamstrings are fine. Everything's okay. Running around and coaching 5Ks is totally normal the day before a race. Um, but uh, the gun went off and I think like 20 guys went in front of me and I started going, oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I racing CIM? I had such a, you know, like total disconnect from what I thought I could do versus where I actually am. It's just embarrassing, like all the negative chatter that you just start. And three miles in, I realized that the the A standard now or the half marathon qualifier now is 64 minutes where last time it was 65. And so quickly I calmed myself because I did not want to run 63 minutes that day. And I realized that a bunch of guys were going to go do that and that probably that wasn't going to happen. So I figured the field would start coming back and they did. And it was like the best lesson ever in just relaxing and doing what you need to do. Cause I ended up like just grabbing a couple guys and that was probably the biggest, uh, biggest turning point in like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go do CIM and I'm still a racer. I'm still competitive. Um, because I can catch people and I can, you know, hawk them down and that's fun. Um, so having that experience makes me want to run a fast half marathon. Um, I, really would like to do well at the trials. I don't know what that means yet. I have, you know, I'll have to wait and see what fitness does. But um, I also want to run Boston or New York, both if I have the luxury to. Um, but I want to do one of the big ones and I want to feel what it feels like when everybody talks about it. And I want to do it when I'm running fast. You gotta. Yeah, right? Like, Boston's my favorite race. I grew up yeah. outside of Boston, so it's always held a special place in my heart, and I just did it this past year in the yeah. epic rainy conditions and something I'll never forget. And I've never run New York, and I have very few road marathons that I still want to race, not yeah. just run. And I feel like I owe it to myself to give New York a shot and see 
what that's like. So I would advise you at some point, maybe after the trials, stay with it for a little bit longer. I mean, who knows? You have a great trials. You may have to stay with it a little bit longer. Um, but throw yourself throw yourself in the fire because there is no experience like either of those races. Yeah. I look back at like, and I fast forward 20 years or 30 years and I think what would be, if you have any regret, what would it be? And it, the first thing would be never competing in a trials because I owe it to myself to do that. Um, and the next thing would be New York or Boston. Um, Cause my career has always been like uh, the, I, I always feel like I'm the guy who made the meat. Like whatever the cherry meat was, I kind of just got myself into it. You know, high school, it's Foot Locker um, and got to go to Beijing and do the junior world championships. I got to run in indoor nationals and outdoor nationals and all those. Like I just, I always feel like I get there. Um, so I'd like to go to the trials and get there first, but then also compete um, because it's, it's fun. It's great. Beyond your own running, what else do you hope? the rest of your life holds. You had mentioned that it's really good right now yeah. and things are great and you're really happy and you have running goals that you still want to chase, but what else does Jake Schmidt want to do? First of all, I want to say that it's a luxury to be able to say life is good. Like I, you know, it just, it, life's good. And when life's good, that's great. And hold on to it and just kind of take that moment. Um, there was one time in college when I saw a sports psychologist and one of the, you know, he had a couple of great things that stuck with me, but one of them was kind of this like law of increasing your average, improving your average versus, you know, if you, if you get out on the track and every time you go on the track, you want a PR. Well, obviously you're going to fail more times than you're going to succeed. But if your goal is to progress and build and improve your average, well, you're, that means subsequently that you're best performance is going to have to get better and your worst performance is going to have to get better. So I kind of like when my life just kind of started to click and thoroughbred feels good and everything feels great and life's good. I realized like, Oh, you know what? Like take this feeling, just appreciating it, just appreciate it. And like, let's move forward. And obviously I'm going to be building. Um, we, we want to open a thoroughbred in San Francisco because it's far easier to create studio culture in San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, like the biggest motivator has always been like, if we can sell it in Marin, it's going to be shooting fish in a barrel in San Francisco. You know, it's cold, it's windy, it sucks. Everybody lives on blocks and they know the studio idea, the studio mentality. So 20, what are we in? 2019. I hope that by the end of this year, we can say something along the lines of, you know, we've cracked ground, we've signed a lease, we've, you know, whatever it is, I hope that Thoroughbred starts to grow. Um, and then, you know, I want to have a family of my own. I want to grow old and I want to be running every day. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I just, I, my life's great. I, I'm very fortunate at the, at what I have to do once I wake up in the morning. I think, uh, was it yesterday? And this is a Dina Castor thing. I really loved that book. Um, you know, the whole perspective shifting. It was Tuesday morning. So I teach 6 a.m. on Monday and Thursday. And Tuesday morning, one of my younger sisters teaches at 6 a.m. And uh, Joey, my boyfriend, wanted to go run the class. And he's like, oh, will you come run with me? And I was like, ugh, 6 a.m. on the day that I don't have to go. And then I realized what I was saying no to. And it's like, no, this is the whole point. Like, this is everything. So I got up and I was really happy and I had a blast. Like, that's that's it. That's all. I mean, uh, running fast and living life and just having a great time teaching young kids to uh, love what they do. I love it. Reminds me of Kurt Vonnegut quote and something along the lines of I'm paraphrasing. Every once in a while you have to sit back and say, if this isn't 
good, then I don't know what is, and really just appreciate that moment. I totally butchered it, but you can look it up. Something along those it's lines. Along, yeah. It's along those lines. If I had it in front of me, I would read it off, but I but I don't. And I think what you had just articulated really encapsulates that that when life is good to really appreciate that moment while still thinking about how am I going to move forward from here? I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's great. All right. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the podcast, you know what I'm about to ask you. I'd love it if you went to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to audio content and left a rating and a review. Only takes a few minutes, but helps new listeners to discover the show, and it really means a lot to me. That's five stars, just a few words. All you need to do, those of you who've done so already, thank you very much. Also, big thank you to Strava for sponsoring this episode. If you're looking for a little extra motivation on your next run or bike ride, check out their new Athletes Unfiltered podcast. It's a collection of inspiring stories from the Strava community told by the runners and cyclists who live them. I recommend giving it a listen. I've really enjoyed it so far. You can subscribe wherever you consume your audio content. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. All the platforms should have it. They also have a landing page at blog.strava.com slash podcast. has links to every episode that they've posted so far. Thank you, Strava, so much for sponsoring the show. Also, big thank you to John Summerford from bearsrecords.com. Thank him every week and with good reason. He helps make this show sound as good as it does week in and week out. Big, big part of my team. Thank you, John. And that's it. I don't think I've got anything else for you this week. So I will catch you next time for another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast.